Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Answering the Call, offering a glimpse into the spiritual journeys of local priests, deacons, and religious. And now, Answering the Call with Elizabeth Vicacelli. Welcome to another edition of Answering the Call on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and streaming live on stgabrielradio.com. I'm Elizabeth Ficcicelli, glad that you can join us for another um, program. And my guest today says that since he was a young boy, he has always had a strong sense that what the church did was something essential, that he couldn't imagine a world without it. He's Father Thomas Buffer. He's a priest of 23 years and the pastor at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Marion, Ohio. And he's here to tell us all about his journey to priesthood. So thank you for joining us today, Father. Thanks, Elizabeth. We're glad that you're here. And I understand that your family comes from Chicago, but you grew up right here in Columbus. That's right. Uh, we moved to Columbus, Ohio in 1967. So when people ask me where I'm from, I say Columbus. That's my That's home. That's home. Okay. And a Catholic family, practicing Catholic family? That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, was parochial school part of this journey for you as a kid? Parochial school was, was part of my life and the life of my two brothers and my sister, and that was at St. Agatha School in Upper Arlington. Okay. Now, you had a blend of um, parochial and public school. So why was that? That You know, one one year here, one year there? Yeah, I mean, uh, went to Catholic schools grades one through four. And at that point, um, my parents thought that I might want to try something different, maybe be a little bit more of a challenge. So I went to the uh, public school for one year, which ended up being sixth grade. So I, I forgot about fifth grade somehow. <laughs> and uh, But then I said, oh, I like the Catholic school. I like the Catholic environment. So I went back there for seventh grade. But by then, I think um, you know the family ideas had shifted as far as education was concerned. And at that point, we all, all four of us, transferred into the public school system. Okay. You, uh, your parents, both educators, or they, they were they both had experience as educators. My father uh, had made a career of it. He was a professor in the College of Education at the Ohio at State the University. OS, the okay. Ohio, not the other one. The Ohio State University. Yeah, and so and he trained educators. It was something he paid a lot of attention to. And later, I, I was in high school, my mother went back to school, and she got her doctorate in education as well, but she was specializing more in adult education and gerontology. And I always told her it was really smart that she studied gerontology because that's old people, and it's the one minority group to which everyone will eventually be gone, belong, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So that's a good thing. That's true. You know, it's always going to be around that field. That's right. And especially in, in big numbers today. But, you know, in the years that you were attending um, Catholic schools, the Catholic education system was undergoing changes, you know, just by nature of the years that it was there. It was after Vatican II. Yeah, we live, We started living through the, the post-conciliar um, mass revolution, chaos, change, mm-hmm. all four of those things. And But looking back on it now, and I, I can see even early on, uh, the, the, the teaching sisters we had, they they were on the cusp of a great change themselves. And it's something I, I didn't understand everything that was being discussed at the time, but I, I have these faint memories of my mother complaining that 
one of the sister you know the sisters were changing out of their habit into a modified habit and then something that wasn't really a habit and then one of them even tried to wear makeup and mm. I don't know if my mother was complaining <laughs> a sister was wearing makeup or b she just wasn't very good at it you know I'd have, to, <laughs> I'd have to call mom and ask and she would say I never said that no but seriously um and uh at the beginning we had these very traditional textbooks and they were like Dick and Jane, except the kids had different names, and they were little Catholic kids. Mm-hmm. And all the stories were Margaret about Mary them. and <laughs> yeah, they were going to Catholic school like us, and and doing and doing all the proper things. And uh, father was wearing a hat outside of doors, and everything was fine. And then somewhere around maybe fourth grade, all those books were gone. In fact, they had a big sale one day after mass in the gym, and then we had. You know, the same weird uh, books for math and English and everything that they had in the public schools, I imagine. Wow. So a lot of transformation. A lot. Do you think it was during those years in parochial school that the seeds for a religious vocation were planted in in your heart? Sure, sure. I mean, because you're spending a lot of time in church and not just going to mass on Sundays, but also at least once a week uh, with with the other kids in the school and you have religious instruction every day and prayers and and the priest would stop by to visit the class and definitely sure would you ascribe you know some of of that attraction for religious life to a priest to a sister you know or was it more to the mass or you know what where what was drawing you yeah i think i can i can accurately say that i could never attribute it to a particular person but um, the mass itself always fascinated me, and the the idea that it uh, it had this structure and it was just there. We didn't make it up. Mm-hmm. It, it was handed down from the past, and that gave it a kind of a timeless quality, and that seemed appropriate to me. I wouldn't have put it in those words then, but you know, if something is about God and heaven and eternity. It makes sense that it should have some kind of timeless quality to it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's you know, a good it shouldn't point. sound like a Burger King commercial. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, a lot of my priest guests will say, you know, they served on the altar as a kid. I know you served on the altar as a kid. And, and for a lot of them, it was an important part of recognizing their call. But you had a, a little bit of a different experience being an altar server. Yes, um, I, I uh, like being an altar server, but I also... Um, uh, I can't say that I was very good at it. There's something about being out there in, in three dimensions, you know, that I felt, always felt like I was working without a net. <laughs> and I did have one bad experience, which was once it was uh, called upon to be one of the servers at a school mass, and I hadn't done it for a while. And I couldn't remember the exact sequence of events in going back and forth to the altar when the priest was purifying the vessels after communion. What do I bring to him? What do I take back? And so forth. And I, was, I wasn't I was doing it right. And afterwards, uh, a bunch of the other kids told me what an idiot I was. Mm. So th- that didn't help, really. You know, even if they were right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I have four boys. They've all been through, you know, altar server program. They've all served on the altar. And, 
and and they tell me it is stressful to remember, you know, where to go, what to do, mm-hmm. what, you know. So so I can relate to that, and I think there's a lot of young people who can relate to that, and it's still such a beautiful way to serve the church. So as you were, um, you said you you were drawn to the mass, you liked the mass. Did you begin to think about being a priest when I grow up, when you were a kid, or were you interested in other possible careers in, in the future when you were a little kid? Oh, well, when I was a kid, the big thing was the space program. So we all wanted to be, not all of us, uh, we all thought being an astronaut was the way to go. Mm. And that that seemed to me, without question, a good idea. Was, um, I'm not saying that lasted very long, <laughs> you know, but we, we we believed that by the time we were old, you know, like 18, <laughs> 1920, that traveling to space would be something that everybody would get to do. Right, like George Jetson. Well, yeah, I mean, um, we did watch the Jetsons. That's true. And uh, I'm in your generation, so I remember the space age. And, and you're right, it right. was. It was huge when we yeah, were Yeah, because we were told um, we were there, were there were going to be colonies up there and everything. That's right. Yeah. So we're getting ready. So when did the priesthood begin to overtake the astronaut dream? Oh, I think that um, I would say it was probably getting into, you know, once I got into double digits. Okay. Right at the beginning of that time period. And did you share this with your family or friends or a priest or, or anyone? Yeah, I talked you know? to my family about it. And, you know, they were, I think, appropriately cautious because they understand when you're young, you get this I- these ideas, and some of them last, and some of them don't. Mm. And plus, the time of change probably right. didn't build any security in them either. Like, where is the church heading? You know, everything just seems a little bit in a state of flux in those years. Um, what about into high school? Did did the idea, you know, become stronger? And no, I would. Say it probably it would come and go, but probably more in the background than the foreground. I mean, high school is a time when you're learning a lot about yourself and some of it's very confusing. And uh, it's at a public high school and it's not the sort of thing that a lot of the kids wanted to hear about anyway. And and you start to see all kinds of other options. And I think it was, it was at that time I got a lot more interested too in academics. And I realized there was this thing called college <laughs> we don't have colleges anymore everything's a university it seems to me you know you go you see these little tiny schools they have 200 students in their universities we called it college then and and you say wow you could study anything you want and you open up the college course catalogs and everything looked fascinating mm-hmm. so so what did you think back then, like, you know, as you're approaching junior, senior year in high school, kids are planning, you know, where they want to go to college, you know, what they want to do as career. Where, what were you thinking? What, what, what was your interest at that point? Boy, it, w- it was pretty broad. It wasn't really all that focused. And looking back on it, I think one of, uh, one of my handicaps that I've always struggled with is I'm interested in too many different things. Mm-hmm. It's a problem. <laughs> Right, it's fine when you're young, but you, know, you got to. Eventually, I, I mean to focus it a little bit. And eventually, yeah. you would. You did choose I'm, I'm school. Fa- I'm planning on doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You went to the OSU. I ended up going to the Ohio State University. Yes. And what did you study there? 
I ended up, after floundering around a bit and uh, in the majoring in music, ended up in the School of Music. And we probably should talk about your musical background. You played the trumpet in both marching and concert high school bands, and you took piano since probably the time you were a little kid, huh? Yes. Um, you know, we uh, we had to uh, we had to live out my mother's childhood trauma, which is she <laughs> wanted to take piano lessons, like her old as her older sisters had, but she was denied. She was denied admission to the piano training program at her school in Chicago because the nun who taught piano told her that her hands were too small. Mm. So, but I'm 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 that's I'm only saying that because it's true, but it's not the most important <laughs> factor. Um, so by Jingy, her kids were going to learn to play the piano. We also had to <laughs> take swimming lessons because she never learned to swim. <laughs> so, so, so you. But I always wanted to play the piano anyway. You know, every time I saw a piano at someone's house, I, I had to go over and start playing it, and they had to they had to kind of drag me away by main force. All right. So that is that what you pursued then as a music major, piano? Well, I, I uh, studied piano. And later, uh, organ with the organist at uh, at our parish. And, but I ended up majoring. Organ was my major instrument at Ohio State with Dr. Gordon Wilson, mm-hmm. and uh, he's dead now. And but the actual major subject was theory and composition. Okay. Yeah. What was going on with your faith life during your college years? Because I know for a lot of people, this is the time, if they're going to fall away, this is the time that they'll fall yeah. away for a time. I wouldn't say I fell away in the sense that I denied any essential doctrines of the faith. But um, I did have to go through the, that little exploratory period my first year in college where I found that there was no one to make me go to church. Mm-hmm. So I had to make myself go, and I didn't always do that. yeah but you didn't it didn't sound like you had any big faith crisis or any no rejection of the faith just was maybe not the top priority at all times during those years yeah and i i'm I'm sure i'm not the only person to whom that has happened what what brought you back to deciding hmm i probably should be going more regularly well I, i never disliked going i actually kind of wanted to go i think it was just as it was a matter of understanding what it meant that I had to schedule that myself and make it happen. Okay. We're talking with Father Thomas Buffer. He is the pastor at St. Mary's in Marion, and he is our guest today on Answering the Call here on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Ficicelli. So, Father Buffer, after your undergrad degree, did you pursue any further education after that? I did a little bit of graduate studies uh, still at Ohio State, but I, I found very quickly that I, I didn't like it the way I thought I was going to. And so I decided I better uh, try and get a job or something, whatever people do when they're not going to school. That was a new that was a new concept, you know. Well, and it sounds like you found a good job for a music major. Well, I had a couple things ended up at the same time. And one is um, was working Monday through Friday for a company that, maintains and tunes and repairs pipe organs. And I always liked working with tools and mm-hmm. repairing things, or at least not breaking them too bad. And then on a part-time basis during that same time period, I was the music director at the Catholic Church in Circleville, south of Columbus. 
Okay. So God's kind of still keeping you in the loop there. Same. So mm-hmm. what happened to your vocational thoughts? Well, when you go to church a lot, <laughs> <laughs> when you're, you know, you're playing all those masses and uh, you, you, hear, you would hear a lot of talk about uh, vocations and prayers for vocations and our young people that they will respond to the Lord's call. And, and that made me think if, if I might be one of those people who needed to pay attention to that. So um, you obviously paid attention to that because I'm sitting across from you. You have a collar around your neck. So um, what, did you, what were your actual steps to pursue this, to test this? Is this where God is calling me? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, a lot of it was private prayer. Um, I remember sometimes driving back from Circleville to Columbus, I would stop at St. Joseph's Cemetery. And there's the beautiful little chapel there, mm-hmm. our Mother of Sorrows. I just sit and pray about my problems or what I should do next mm-hmm. and so forth. And, and I said, well, I need to, I need to just try this. Right. And that's really what it always comes down to for the guests. I always say that you have to test it. You won't know until you test it. So you did. Now, you would not go to the Josephinum. Where'd you go to seminary? Uh, when um, I did take one course at the Josephinum when I was kind of applying to the Diocese of mm-hmm. Columbus, and I was still working part time at the organ company, and I took one course. It was a philosophy course at the Josephinum. And that was good because I hadn't been in school for a while, and I wasn't sure I remembered how to do that. But I got an A, so I guess I remembered how to do that. <laughs> and uh, I, I eventually I was bundled off to the seminary in Mondelein, Illinois, mm-hmm. north of Chicago, for a year of what they called pre-theology, since I already had an undergraduate degree, and did my another year there, my first year of theology, and then I transferred to the North American College in Rome for uh, another three years of seminary. Now, many of my priest guests share experiences that they had in seminary. Like, for instance, um, many times there were obstacles, doubts, you know, along the way for them. During your five years of formation, you know, what were your challenges? Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing is you always have to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, this is real. This is not a game. This could, this could lead to ordination <laughs> and, and specifically yours. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, can you, can you stand before God and say, you're going to do this? Huh? It's a big question. Yeah. But then, uh, two, you're not the only person there in the seminary. There are the people who run the seminary. There are your fellow students. And some of them are going to inspire you, and some of them are not. And, and then you have the usual interesting things that happen. For example, you have one of your fellow students, say, decides he's going to drop out of the seminary. Mm-hmm. And what if it was someone that you really looked up to? And you say, well, if, if he's leaving, why am I still here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very real questions. Sure. You were in Rome from the year 1988 to 1991. Yes. And St. Pope John Paul II was the vicar of Christ at the time. You know, I think 
in those years, he, he was he was certainly getting more well-known, but he wasn't at his full peak of, of I think, you know, um, of influence in the world and power in the world. But what was it like in Rome in those years? I mean, that's like the center of Catholicism. Yes. Exciting seems like an inadequate word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're making. I'm thinking back now. I mean, brain doesn't work as fast as it used to. Um, it's an extraordinary thing that most of your life, when you think of the Pope, that's somebody you see on television. It's not someone you really see. But then there he is, mm. and you realize if you wanted to, you could kind of walk down the street on most Sunday afternoons, and watch him come out on the balcony. Um, went down with some people who were visiting Rome once, and it was evening, and we walked out to St. Peter's Square, and I said, now you see those windows up there? that are Those only windows up in that building that are illuminated, that's the Pope's room. And if you're here at 10 o'clock, you'll see the lights switch out. Mm. And it's... Uh, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It you, makes it more real. You met both um, Pope mm-hmm. John Paul II and um, Pope Benedict when he was Cardinal Ratzinger. That's right. People, yeah, I, I used to joke. I said I knew him when he was only a cardinal, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of silly because you know, meeting any cardinal, it's that's uh, there aren't too many of them. He has a reputation, Cardinal Ratzinger, for you know being a man in the streets, literally like intermingling with people and. You know, is that how you were for him? You know, that that your experience of him was that he was I'm, yeah, approachable. I, one, one time I met him, it was I was working at a uh, center, a Catholic youth center, not far from St. Peter's Basilica, and there was going to be a mass for students from German, German universities who were spending a semester in Rome. So I had to help, you know, set up and light the candles and put out the chalice and everything. And after the Mass, he did a question and answer with the students. And it was clear he loved it. You know, that's all, that was really what he loved doing, was being a professor and being with the students. And then afterwards, we went down in the basement, which was, you know, not a very luxurious place. And I remember he was uh, drinking grape soda out of this plastic cup and eating <laughs> mediocre sandwich. And he didn't want to leave. He just loved being there and chatting with the students and get meeting everybody. And I th- finally, his secretary had to drag him away. Aww, that's yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah, very humble man. So after your return from Rome, you were ordained in 1991 yes. and began what is now 23-year vocation as a Catholic priest. And I know you did um, pastoral work at Our Lady of Perpetual Help, and you were at St. Andrews. Um, then you went back for further education, and you would end up teaching uh, theology at the Josephinum. What was it like to be back in the seminary, but on a teaching level? Oh, yes. I used to, my joke was the, the hunted has become the hunter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really can say that. Uh, one, being around seminarians makes you want to be a better priest because um, nothing beats the idealism of youth. And... Uh, you say, I want to be a good example for these men, but also uh, you can see they're trying very hard 
to give their whole selves to their vocation, so I, I should try to do that myself. But also the teaching, and the wonderful thing about teaching is it forces you to, to study yourself, forces you to learn. After your um, experience at the Josephinum as a professor, you went back into pastoring and um, St. Stephen the Martyr. Yes. And then after that, uh, where you are currently is St. Mary's in Marion Mm -hmm. and have been doing a great job up there from what I'm hearing. Tell me, what advice, you have some great practical advice for men who might be considering the the priesthood. Well, you know, I learned when I was a young man that nothing is more off-putting than some old guy telling you how you're going to look at everything different when you're his age. So I'm not <laughs> going to do that. Um, I would say be very practical. Be very practical, okay? Don't be romantic. And when I say practical, I mean think about what priests have to do and pray about whether you could do that with God's help, okay? Uh, can you visit the sick people? Can you celebrate Mass correctly and devoutly and attentively? Can you put together some kind of homily that helps people understand the mysteries of the faith and uh, without falling out of the ambo? (laughs) Are you capable of learning? And uh, one way you're going to find out the answer to that last question, by the way, is you have to read something called books. And you try to read, try to read some serious books. Try to read some books that you think might be difficult, and you can do it. Okay, uh, and reading what we call Facebook or reading what we call blogs does not count. Yeah. So, so that will help you, Father Thomas Buffer. It's been a joy having you on the show and taking us through your journey to priesthood. If you would kindly leave us with your blessing. May the Lord bless and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and give you His peace the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is Elizabeth Ficicelli for Answering the Call. Join us again on Tuesdays and Sundays at 1230 for another edition. Have a wonderful week, and God bless. Answering the Call is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, AM820. Archives of Answering the Call with Elizabeth Ficicelli are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then-